Hello, friends, and welcome to The Block, the Building, Learning, and Organizational Culture podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Heidi Kirby, and on today's show, I'm sharing a little bit of insight from my dissertation research to try and answer the question of why do people create bad training? We have all the technology in the world. We have so much information at our fingertips, and yet we're still putting people through painful training experiences. I just posted last week about a very painful experience I had with a home buying course that was just walls after walls of text and information that no longer applied at that point in the loan application. It was things that I had already had to have accomplished to get to that point that I was learning about. And so it didn't wasn't even fit for purpose. I had another similar training course when I was getting a divorce last year on co-parenting that was a required paid part of the process. It was a little better in terms of engagement because it had videos of people interacting scenes of co-parenting, but it was one of those compliance courses that I always complain about that focuses on the very black and white experiences, right? It's like a parent yelling at the other co-parent in front of the kid or using the kid as leverage or, you know, things that are just very obviously wrong. I see those a lot in uh, sexual harassment training and information security training where it's like you get a random text from an unknown number that asks you to wire $10,000 to this bank account. You know, don't do that, (laughs) right? And it's like, Yes, we know. We know we shouldn't do that. What would be better would be to have some nuance in here, right? But we lack that nuance. And so that that was a bad training experience. Plus, it made me watch every second of every video. Um, I, as an instructional designer, may have found my way around that. But, you know, we force people to do these things. We force them to go through these things. When I was onboarding, I've told this story a bunch of times, so you may have heard it already. But when I was onboarding at one of my companies, they had a bingo game that wasn't actually a bingo game as part of that onboarding experience. And it had the loudest techno music in the background. (laughs) Blew my ears out because it was so much louder than the narration. And I was listening to it through earbuds and just... We, we just see this stuff and I'm probably, my goal in telling these like very short, quick recaps is to get you thinking about bad training that you've experienced, right? Because I want to talk about the why, right? And I think the first reason why we have so much bad training is because we have instructional designers that don't know any better, right? They think that, I, I, I'm convinced that nobody wants to create bad training, right? I I have to believe that we don't intentionally want to torture our learners, right? But we have people that think that e-learning is the only way, and they don't even realize that other solutions might exist because they do one of two things, right? They either join programs that are way too high level or they haven't spent enough time doing the job. Let me break that down a little bit. So in in you know sticking with this 
black and white dichotomy. We have that with these programs where people learn the skills to become an instructional designer. In our grad degree programs, they're very heavy on the foundational knowledge, the theories, all of the good information that can create a really, really solid instructional designer, but there's little to no way to actually apply that experience in those grad degree programs. I feel very blessed about my experience at ODU because I was able to do volunteer projects as part of my courses and work with real stakeholders. Again, it was very minimal, but it was better than nothing, right? But we have that on one hand, and then we have these boot camps, academies, whatever, um, you know, all of the get-rich-quick scheme, pyramid scheme, ID courses that are out there where they're represented by one figurehead, right? That's the person who's on YouTube. It's the person who's marketing. It's the person who's promoting the program or academy or boot camp. And they don't actually do the work once you get in. They're hiring people with three, six, nine months experience to teach new people how to do the, do the job. And they don't necessarily know enough to do the job themselves, right? And the whole programs are founded on learning storyline or making a portfolio or getting a job. And they're very much less rooted in that in, in that foundational theory and knowledge that is so helpful. So you have these, these two types of, of funnels for new people. And then the new people just maybe haven't spent enough time doing the job, right? So in my dissertation research, 16 out of the 25 instructional designers that I interviewed, or 64% of them, said they learned what they needed to know to lead a successful instructional design project from doing the actual job. So if you haven't spent enough time doing the job, if you're learning the job from somebody who's also brand new, it's literally, you know, people who are not well-versed enough trying to bring other people up to speed. And it's, it's a recipe for failure. It's a recipe for disaster. And then the other thing, too, is that we really want to complain so much about our subject matter experts. We want to blame things on them as soon as they go south. But I would argue that if we were actually the experts that we claim to be, and we knew enough about how to build that relationship, we could honestly help them and we wouldn't have to work against them, right? We would be able to explain our ideas and a better way of intervention and, you know, be able to just leverage our expertise and knowledge. But I think where we come up short is that we just don't really have it sometimes, right? And that leads me to my next point. We haven't built up enough trust with the people we're working with to fight for that best intervention, right? We're in a unique field in learning and development, right? Because unlike very specialized skills, right? And I say that, but I think doctors and surgeons and, you know, people with highly technical pilots still might, you know, experience this to an extent, but... People have a frame of reference 
with learning. They have an experience with learning. So they think they know something about learning and how it happens and how it should be done and how it should be made because they've experienced it. And so it can be hard sometimes to build up enough trust to show that, hey, yes, I know about learning from the learner's seat too, but I also know about learning from the driver's seat. So you're going to have to trust me on this one. And I've literally had to say that to Smeeze before, like, just trust me, right? But we have to build that trust up in order to sell the intervention that we want to have. One of the instructional designers that I spoke to in my dissertation research, trust was everything for her. Let me explain. So for my doctoral dissertation, I talked to 25 instructional designers and asked them to tell me about a successful ID project that they led and an unsuccessful ID project that they led. And the goal was to come up with instructional design leadership competencies. But I found out so much more, right? And so this particular person, the difference between the unsuccessful and successful story was that in the unsuccessful situation, she didn't feel confident enough to speak up and tell the stakeholder, hey, I don't think training's the right intervention for this. I think this is the better way. But in the successful experience, she had been at that job long enough to say to the stakeholder, hey, I don't think this is the right direction. Listen, let's do this instead. That trust that leverage, that expertise, and that confidence in that expertise was all the difference. But if we don't have confidence, because we do have this really high level of knowledge, and we're new to the field, and we don't have a deep expertise, because we, you know, only took somebody's eight-week program and managed to get our foot in the door, and now are going, oh, geez, now what do I do, Right? we're not going to be able to make that difference, right? I think too, though, sometimes I want to just be really honest with this because I've seen it happen. I think sometimes experienced instructional designers continue to put out bad training because they've gotten tired of the fight. They've gotten tired of trying to sell the best intervention, trying to have those conversations, trying to convince the stakeholders that their way is the best way. And they just get a little bit jaded and a little bit burnt out. And then they go, well, all right, it's money. I got to put food on the table. I've got kids. I've got a family. I've got a house. And if I'm just cranking out crappy e-learning, you know what? So is everybody else. And that leads me to my final point. And this one is going to make some people upset. I'm well aware of that. But I think it's important that we really take stock and self-reflect and give ourselves some harsh feedback sometimes so that we can get better, okay? In learning and development, we've built entire communities on rewarding bad behavior. We have communities around e-learning authoring tools that are specifically designed to create flashy things rather than practical solutions. Show us your cool ways to add background music, our brand new feature 
to your course. Even though having background music throughout a course goes against our multimedia principles, even though having background music along our courses is cognitive overload, this e-learning authoring tool decided that that was a feature that they wanted to prioritize over accessibility. They still don't get accessibility right, but yet they're encouraging people to add background music to their courses. They're encouraging them to create examples using features. That's it. That's the challenge. It has nothing to do with a practical problem that we're solving for a business. It has nothing to do with practical application. It is a blip of a practice of a feature, which is fine if you're learning the tool, but we then turn this into something so big where people are getting awards for e-learning that is animated and gamified and contains all these characters and just looks so terrible in relation to the real games that we play. Now, as instructional designers, we might know all the work that goes into creating a gamified e-learning like that, but our audience doesn't share that vantage point. They're comparing it to the graphics in The Last of Us or the open world possibilities of the latest Zelda game. And they're not pleased with our cheesy characters and focus on the flash and the bang rather than the substance and the learning and the behavior change and the practicality of it all. And people make up these new names to try and change the narrative, to try and cover up bad training, right? I'm convinced that the creation of the learning experience designer name was to really try and make people think better of e-learning. But if we still put out the same thing, if the output is still not as good as the media we see in other areas of our lives, then what are we doing, right? Why are we rewarding that? If we showed up to a video game convention with our e-learning game, they would laugh us out of there. But we have access to the same tools they do. Maybe not the same time. Maybe not the same teams. But we can make a miniature version of that if that's what it requires. But I think sometimes we get so caught up in having fun creating things and enjoying the creation that we forget to enjoy the the change in knowledge, the change in behavior, the change in confidence that is really what what we do is all about, right? So what can we do? What can we do to fix this? I think first of all, we have to encourage our friends to stop joining these low-value, high-priced programs that contain all the right buzzwords but have none of the substance. That includes grad degree programs, not just boot camps. I'm coming for anybody who isn't giving a full practical application mixed with theory. Theory and application, that's been the whole basis of everything I do. 
We need both. We also need to study instructional design and the foundational history of educational technology and other adjacent fields like human performance technology, organizational development, change management, the other fields that are doing things similar to us. We need to stop being in our own little world and find out what other people are doing. Multimedia. What are people in graphic design doing? What are trends from graphic design that we can adopt in our own work? What are tools that people are using in change management that we can adopt in our own work? There's so much out there to learn outside of JavaScript. And if you're new to the field, I would encourage you to find real ways to practice, right? If you're a teacher and you're an educator, you can find ways in your classroom to practice what you're learning. If you're not and you're unemployed and you're trying to find and you have no time, right? Maybe there's an opportunity in your personal life, right? Maybe, listen, it's summer. Maybe your kiddos are home from school. Put together something for them, right? Find ways to practice that. Volunteer. Find a local volunteer organization. They always, always need help with education. I promise you that if you come in and say, hey, I am an expert in education and I'd love to help you make your things better, that you can find a volunteer organization in your area that is willing to bank on that. And then the last thing is really hard, but I think it's important. We need to stop being so nice. I see posts on LinkedIn with just vague, high-level assumptions about the field or vague projects that someone has made and put together for different challenges. And I see people who I think know better saying, oh, wow, this is so great. And I think we're so focused on wanting to be seen as nice and wanting to be seen a certain way on social media that we've forgotten how to be kind. And that the kind thing to do is to tell our friend when there's toilet paper stuck to their shoe to tell our friend that learning styles aren't real. And we don't have to do it in a loud way and embarrass them in front of everyone. We can really just be like, hey, over here. Did you know that learning styles have been debunked? Let me send you something, right? Or we can say, hey, these characters in this video look really dated, Let's try to find something new, right? We can be kind. We can give good feedback. Like we don't have to be mean about it, but we have to stop being so nice and telling everyone that their work is amazing when we know full well in our gut that it isn't. We are in a field where our ability to handle feedback is paramount because we're working with people outside of our departments outside of our organizations, outside of our teams, and we have to take feedback from them no matter how hard it is to hear. So we have to do better within our own community at giving and taking feedback. I just saw a post on Reddit the other day, and yes, I know, I lurk the instructional design subreddit for better or for worse, but I go just to kind of see what people are saying and just read. It's kind of like reading the tabloids at this point. But someone had shared their portfolio for feedback, and they'd gotten some tough 
tough feedback. But it was honest. It was, it was very honest. And I thought it was very valid as well. And they became aggressive, defensive, and just kind of bawled out anyone who said anything from that point on. To the point where they eventually deleted the post, the portfolio, the whole nine yards. And I watched it and I went, oh my gosh, they're never going to find a job because they can't take feedback. And that's one of the most important components of our job. But we're so bad at giving it to each other. And we're labeled as haters or we're labeled as, you know, we're not taken seriously if we do try to push our friends and our colleagues to more. And that has to stop. Because if we really do care about each other, if we really do have the helpful community that I honestly believe that L&D has, then we wouldn't keep behaving this way. So be a good steward of instructional design. Be a good steward of the information that you possess. Share it with people. Share feedback. Share resources. Share your experiences with bad training. Because maybe, just maybe, someone will see that and go, Oh, geez, I made a course just like that last month. What am I missing? And we can help that person be better. This is not about attacking people who make bad training. It's about figuring out the root cause, which is what we're supposed to do, and finding a solution. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. For more great L&D resources, connect with me on LinkedIn or visit getusefulstuff.com.